Yoga, jarring cacophony, or, to use the language of the kiddos, mashup of the Doctor Who theme can only mean one thing. It's time for another Power of Three podcast. On your standard Power of Three episode, you would normally find a trio of middle-aged Scottish Doctor Who fans gathering to grump, giggle, gold, gossip, groan, grumble, gush, and occasionally grimace as we discuss our favourite time-travelling hero in all forms of his adventures, whether on television, audio, comic strips, animations, novels, magazines, or anything else. I'm Kenny Smith, and again, my maths fail me. We've had the power of one, we've had the power of two, we've had the power of three, last week we had the power of four, and today it's the power of five. But thankfully for me, not all at the same time, so I don't need to keep them all under control. I'm joined by a group of co-conspirators to follow on from a recent episode in which myself, Tom Harris and David Steele shared our recollections of visiting Doctor Who exhibitions over the years. Today, we're going to be chatting about the fabulous exhibition of original Target artworks that went on show at the Cartoon Museum in London in 2016 before moving to the Doctor Who experience in Cardiff. But before we meet the man who organised it, let's start with my usual co-conspirators to find out what their favourite Target novelisation covers are. Let's kick off with Tom Harris. Tom, we're doing a wee bit which you'll find out all about in full on Thursday, so... What are your three favourite Target book covers of all time ever? Any editions? Well, all of mine are first editions. I liked some of the illustrations on the reissues. I remember buying Dinosaur Invasion. And I loved the original Chris Achilles cover on that. But I really thought that the the dinosaur, the lone dinosaur, standing in front of St. Paul's in the with the blue background was just a really powerful cover. And I loved the reissue of The Three Doctors as well. But... I've gone for, for first editions. So in number three place, I've got The Terror of the Autons, the original one with the massive big pincer-wielding octopus towering over the uh, the landscape. And what is brilliant about it is that it doesn't look remotely anything that appeared in the show at the time and only made its appearance really when the, when the BBC put in new special effects for the Blu-ray edition but until then basically you had a, a blot in the sky when you when i eventually got around to to watching on the vhs of terror of the autons i was most disappointed of course i saw it on his first broadcast but i didn't remember anything about it um when i saw it on vhs and i thought that is supposed to be the nesting that's rubbish so i i re- then returned to the book and the book is just wonderful it's got this little inset with john pertwee singing a song with his hand outstretched uh, as Roger Delgado pulls a dastardly lever. It's just a lovely cover. It's just the kind of cover that you would think, if you were 12, as I was when I bought it, why wouldn't you buy that book? It's just wonderful. It's exciting. It's colourful. It's very intriguing, especially when you consider that it never actually happened in the show. It's, it's just great. And like some of those early first editions, you've got the, the illustration on the back, two illustrations in front, one with Mike Yates pointing a pistol, a semi-automatic pistol at the face of a, a defeated uh, Auton, and another insert of a, a unit soldier flashing away, as it were, with his gun, whoever misses. <laughs> and it's, it's just, there's a lot in that book. There's, there's so much. I think there's illustrations in the inside as well. Yeah. There are, you know, I just that's in the days when kids' books really, you got your money's worth. I mean, the money worth being 35p back in <laughs> 1976 when I bought it. So that's, that's number three in my yep. top three. My second one is, and I mentioned it earlier, it's the original illustration of The Three Doctors. Uh, that's a Chris Achilles one. I love Achilles. I just think he's, he's marvellous. And I didn't realise until you introduced me to Davy Steele that this was uh, 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 an homage, if you like, or a rip-off of a, a Marvel Comics cover, more than one actually, involving Galactus, the Eater of Worlds. And I don't mind that at all. I, I just think you know some of the best artwork in the world has been inspired by predecessors. It's just a brilliant cover. It's... You know, I had, had so many fond memories of the television show when I saw the cover of this. And, you know, Omega is very imposing. You've got the three doctors all black and white uh, staring at you. It's just, it's just superb. It's just so evocative, as almost all the, the, the Doctor Who paperbacks were back in the day. So that's, that's my second favourite. But my winner 
and this may be a surprise to some people, it's another Chris Achilles one. And I've kind of chosen it because it was actually the very first paperback Doctor Who I ever bought. Not the first one I read, but it's the first one I bought. And it's The Ice Warriors. And it's a very simple, very straightforward illustration. It's got an ice warrior with Victoria screaming her head off. The, screen, the, the photograph that that's taken from of, of Victoria screaming is very, very iconic for the second Doctor. And it says everything. You know, the, the masthead Doctor in Ice Warriors, Brian Hales, takes up almost half of the, of the cover. And it's completely white background, so it's not too cluttered. And it's got this, this very threatening Ice Warrior, which were one of my favourite monsters back in the 70s. Um, and they didn't use them enough as far as I was concerned. And I loved it when they were brought back for the for New Who. But I just I just love it. It's so lively and threatening. It's beautiful. I, I, I'm hoping one day to get, uh, you know, you can buy these prints from uh, Chris Achilles' own studio. And they'll, blow, you know, in large format that you can frame. And I, that's the one I want. That's my favourite one of the lot. So, so there we are. It's an absolute beaut. I actually had that on a T-shirt back in the 90s. Somebody got me that as a birthday present, that cover. So, yep, brilliant. Well, Thank my, you. My, own, my own version of it is signed by Deborah Wally. Oh, my word, that's beautiful. Oh, poor yeah. Debbie. That's amazing. I know, I know. She was, I still, unfortunately, it's, it's torn a little bit. Uh, she, she was the most beautiful of all the Doctor Who companions, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she was incredibly beautiful woman um and uh, yeah i didn't meet her unfortunately i bought this second hand but there we are deborah Watley. yeah brilliant thank you tom and from one power of three original host to the other as we find out david Steele's top three hello listeners it's david Steele here thank you for joining us hope you're well kenny has asked me to talk about my favorite target book cover and i can't really narrow it down to one to be honest i could do a top 10 very easily but i've tried to narrow it down to my top three and these have been my favorites since i was a kid um i'll kind of do them in reverse order number one horror fang rock i think it's jeff cummins that painted it the, the image of tom with the lighthouse it's so evocative it's a very simple image tom with the rope coiled around his neck wearing the bowler hat with the lighthouse glowing behind him i remember it be- it's one of my favorites because it's a story i remember really really clearly as a child but i also remember seeing the book cover in whatever the sort of um book club sheet that came around our primary school and and you could order it and I, I always remember seeing the cover with the bright red logo and remembering the story with the lighthouse I think it's a beautiful painting so it's partly it's a story I like obviously it's in my top three Doctor Who stories so you know that's obviously going to be important to me but um, I just think it's such a brilliant image and I love the fact that I remember it so clearly my second one is by Chris Achilleos and it's the cover to The Carnival of Monsters the first version of that with um, the pencil dot drawing of John ZP taken from a Three Doctors publicity photograph and the background image of the Plesiosaurus rearing up above the SS Bernice in a way that is a hundred times more exciting and interesting than the badly CSO'd one we got in the TV episode. I love the, the way the water just sort of drips off the creature, the way that the ocean is churned up. It's very, very dynamic and it puts me in mind of, again, of, of my childhood. I had a book when I was younger called The Osborne Book of Monsters which had a story about a guy fighting a worm and all sorts of other beasties and stuff. And I was fascinated with such things when I was a little boy. And this one always reminded me of that. Um, I read it around about the same time. Carnival of Monsters, my second, but my favourite all-time Target book cover is the original cover to Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion. Also by Chris Achilleos. It's the famous one that has the Tyrannosaurus Rex looming out of a, a blood-red London as the sun's going down and a pencil dot jonesy the at the front, recoiling from a pterodactyl and that famous clack sound effect, you know, comic book style sound effect, which is very controversial apparently, but I think it's wonderful. It's just so evocative. There's something really 70s about it. You know, it could almost, you know, the way the dinosaur looms out of the, you know, the, the setting sun, It's it could be the cover of a James Herbert novel. It's so 70s, it's so scary. And I think it's actually better than the book. Oh, <gasps> controversial. So, having heard from those reprobates who will hopefully be back with us before too long, it's time to meet the man who organised the whole exhibition. Let's chat to the man to whom I will always be grateful as he introduced me in person to Peter Capaldi in 2014. But why should I duplicate an introduction for him when he can do it himself? 
My name is Edward Russell, and for many years I worked on Doctor Who, certainly from 2006 to the end of 2017, so that's from David Tennant's first series up until the final Peter Capaldi one. I had many job titles when I was there, but I always summarise it using the phrase brand manager because that kind of encapsulates mostly what I did. The brand manager is the person that look, looks after all the extended activity beyond the actual programme itself. And that can be anything from, you know, the website to the, the merchandise to the tours that we did of the music the exhibitions blah 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 it's not saying I did them I you know I'm, I'm not saying claiming credit for them but I sort of looked after the people that were doing it make sure they had all the tools they had and making sure it felt for Doctor Who fans and make sure it felt Doctor Who-y um that was the most important thing uh, I've done many things before and since but I think Doctor Who and my job there will be something I'll be talking about for the rest of my life which I'm more than happy to do well, I'm glad you are, because otherwise this would be a very short podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of what we did. And, you know, I was a Doctor Who fan first and foremost. So to be able to be part of that is, is really special to me, definitely. So I'd imagine that the idea for the Target cover artwork exhibition, was that triggered by the Doctor Who experience? Sort of, but not massively. I mean, I think I have to step back to, to my childhood really um and the target books because i was you know a child of the 70s like my first doctor was end of john pertwee but like probably properly rather it was tom baker and you know the target books were very much what about being a fan was and and i used to you know hound them down if we went for a day visit to somewhere like monmouth or i don't know york or something like that the first port of call for me would be uh the local branch of WH Smith and the little 10 year old me was looking through and seeing either books I hadn't already seen or books with different covers. Cause of course they were often reprinted with different covers. And sometimes I would just be fascinated because I noticed that the spine color was different or the Doctor Who logo. So I had an obsession with those Doctor Who books, you know, without a doubt. And many, many years later, yes, I suppose partly the Doctor Who experience um, and partly a, a few other things are what inspired me to to do an exhibition of the target the original target covers but I had no idea I had no idea how to do an exhibition and um and, and where to start really so uh, yeah that was that was a bit of a challenge in itself I can imagine given that these the original artwork will have been gone to the four corners of the earth with people buying yeah. them privately yeah I I knew that my friend Gary Gary Russell who, who people will know because of course he was He's been a script editor on Doctor Who and Sarah Jane Adventures and Torchwood and, of course, was editor of Doctor Who magazine for a long time. I've been friends with Gary since about the year 2000, so quite a long time. And on visiting his house, I think it was probably 2001, the first time I visited his house, he had several pieces of the artwork there, including the infamous Clack, as it's known, the original cover for Invasion of the Dinosaurs. As a book, it was called The Dinosaur Invasion, which had the words Clack across it. And I guess, you know, obviously I knew this artwork had been done, I knew probably from reading it that in real life it was a lot bigger than it was in the books or, or sometimes a bit bigger. But it hadn't occurred to me that it still existed in some form or that people had it. And, you know, I think Gary had six or seven covers. So that, yeah, that probably the first time I saw that, that set something in my mind that some of it was out there. But I didn't really know who had it or how much or, or the walls out there, etc. It hadn't at this point really occurred to me, let's do an exhibition of that. I seem to recall on Twitter that once the idea had sort of ingrained itself in your mind to do something, that you put out an appeal on Twitter to try and locate original pieces of artwork. Yeah. So, as I said, I'd had this vague idea for doing something for a little bit of time, and I just was just waiting for the right opportunity. And you asked if Doctor Experience had been an influence. And I just thought, well, it would be nice to do something beyond that. I'd already spoken to the people at Doctor um, Experience if they wanted to do a Target um, Books cover um, exhibition there, and they said it didn't fit into what their vision was. And, and that wasn't in an unpleasant way at all. It was just well, they, they did backtrack, so we'll come to that in a bit. And it just wasn't what they were doing. So, But I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was somewhere else in the Bay when people came here to have a, yet another experience? But, you know, I knew that Gary had this six or seven pieces of artwork, and he put me in touch with a chap called David J. Howe, uh, who, of course, quite literally written the book on Target book covers, uh, his book on Target, which I'd, I'd read and loved. And it had a lot of the reproductions of the artwork there without the logo on and some of the unused covers. He put me in touch with David and he said, this guy's got much more than me. David will help you out. So I contacted David and the response, David won't mind me saying this because he's a good friend now, but his response was a bit cold. 
to start with. I think he just thought, oh, the BBC, in that way that people treat the BBC as a monolith sometimes. That BBC now wants to make money out of all this stuff that it didn't care about back in the day. Blah, blah, blah. So that's not what he said, but his response was just a bit cold and like, yeah, I, I don't want to do this. And I don't know what exactly happened, whether someone said, well, no, Edward is doing this on his own, in his own right. He is a big fan or, or what happened, but David would come around. But in between that, when I wasn't sure, I did indeed put a, a call out on Twitter saying, has anybody got stuff? And people got back to me. I had some very odd messages. I had some people show me that they had the target books saying these are on my shelf at the moment but you can have them for your exhibition it's like you know people not quite getting what I was on about which is the original artwork that was scanned and and used on the covers but I was put in touch with a, um, a few people including a chap called Colin Young um, and a few others who, who were collectors and had some pieces I sort of had to negotiate with them at the same time as trying to organize all this and trying to find a venue and the right location and the right way of doing all this but I think we came up to with about 60 different pieces of artwork, especially once David did come on board uh, and realised, you know, how this was going to be great for Doctor Who fans. So, yeah, to go from six to 60 was pretty astonishing. Where did you go for the initial venue? Because as I recall, it was somewhere in London before you moved to Cardiff Bay. And That's right. So... I, although I'd had this idea for a while, I kind of needed a vehicle for it. And what actually sort of propelled me into doing it and gave me a huge amount of support was the BBC Books reissues. Uh, if you remember, they reissued the, the first three original Target books, or well, actually before Target books. But anyway, they really reissued those and they'd updated them. And then they were doing some more. And um, part of the new releases had some books that originally had photographic covers and they wanted to keep to the style. And I think it was me that had suggested to Albert de Petrillo, who is the editor at BBC Books, that he get Chris Achilles on board to do illustrations for those. Albert is one of my favourite people, actually, and certainly in the Doctor Who world. I saw him only last week and he's such an unsung hero of Doctor Who. He, you know, he, he's been behind all all the books and the development of them and, and such a great guy. And he said, well, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll give it a go. And, and anyway, it came back. And he was really pleased with it. And he was on about doing some sort of something to promote the books when they came out. And this is when I came up with the idea of, to him, of doing the exhibition. And he said, well, if you can get the, in the right, you know, the venue and all that kind of stuff, we, we can do it. So yes, he assigned me his publicist, a lovely lady called Sophie Goodfellow, who was just brilliant she was a bit of a fan and she came on board and helped me find a venue. And she was the one that came up with the Cartoon Museum in London, which is very close to the British Museum. So a brilliant location. And as you might guess, it's it specialises in cartoon artwork, which kind of has a bit of a crossover with those Doctor Who book covers. And certainly they, you know, they've done a lot of stuff that would appeal to Doctor Who fans as well. So yeah, we got in touch with them. It just so happened that around the time we would have done the exhibition, i.e. around the time of the release of the books, these new um, reprints of the books, they had some space. So in fact, they, they had a huge amount of space, but it wasn't enough for the books that we had. We had 60 covers and that wasn't enough space. We then had to curate and get it down. But yes, I, I couldn't have done it without Sophie. She was utterly fantastic. And yes, we launched there, I think it was in April 2016. Uh, is when we had the, the launch night itself. You must have been quite amazed at some of the original artwork that still existed that was out there. I know there's a few when I saw them, I was like, wow, that's just amazing. Yeah. What was the biggest surprise for you? I think, yes, I was, because you're seeing these things in the flesh, as it were, and they are bigger than you expect. Not all of them, actually. Some of them aren't much bigger at all, but some of those, certainly the early Chris Achilles ones and some of the the, the brilliant Jeff Cummins ones um, are, are, are just astonishing to see in real life. And see, you can literally see the paint strokes. Because I used to look at those Chris Achilles ones and I couldn't work out how they were done, you know, with the black and white dots and, and the very vibrant colours. I couldn't work out how they were done, but... You know, seeing it close up, you can see the, the detail that went in there, but also the colours as well. The one that stuck in my mind was Doctor Who and the Cybermen, which is that illustration from the novelization of the Moon Base, which has got this anachronistic Cyberman from the invasion on it, which bothers a lot of people. But it's it's a fantastic painting. And the colours were really vibrant and quite different to what they'd been on the on the book. I mentioned this to Chris. Um and he said, oh, it's faded. It's faded hugely. I was like, wow, it must have looked 
astonishing in the first case. So um, yeah, seeing all that stuff was everyone, every single cover just looked brilliant to see in the flesh. The curation uh, and the gathering of, of them all was a bit of a problem because we didn't have enough space and we had to make some t- tough decisions. I mean, what don't you show, especially when you might offend either the kind people who are loaning their work or the, the illustrators themselves. And I'm sorry to say that I know Andrew Skeleta was quite unhappy that not as much of his work was displayed as he would like. And and I was very sad, A, that he felt that, um, and B, that he went on to forums and stuff to, to criticise the, the choices that had been made. And the fact is, you were, there is always much more interest for the very early covers. Uh, I hate that way, the way that the word iconic is overused, but I think it's used quite well for those very early sets of books. And I think Andrew did end, end up painting probably more covers than anyone else in the original run, if you forget about the, the reprints. But when we had to make some decisions, it was it just so happened that a few of Andrew's went that he would have liked to have been exhibited. And, you know, it was a tough decision. But we had Destiny of Daleks on there, which is probably the cover that really excited me the most when I first saw it, because the book had been come out only a month or two after the series had been on. And that was quite unusual. It was normally a good year or so before you got the, the books come out. I hadn't expected it because sometimes you would hear in advance about what the next book was going to be. And I hadn't with Destiny of the Daleks. <clears throat> I just remember walking into WH Smith's and, and it was there. And oh my God, the cover, cover was just brilliant. I bought that and I went away and I would paint it myself. I'd, you know, try and reproduce it and try and reproduce the sort of bubbly explosion that was behind Tom Baker on it. You know, I can personally thank Andrew Skill. I'm not a very good artist, but Andrew Skillitz's paintings inspired me to do paintings. <laughs> and so I was partly disappointed not to be able to fulfill his wishes, but also disappointed that he chose to criticise what we'd done. He has certainly reached out since to try to make amends. I would imagine that you had a bit of a squeaky bum time when everything was in transit coming to you. Well, the funny thing is about a week before the exhibition, I had had a pre-planned holiday to Ibiza. So I was sat on a beach <laughs> whilst it was all happening. Um, and poor Sophie was was dealing with all the mess. <laughs> it wasn't a mess, but it was, you know, you've got all this artwork and it's irreplaceable. I mean, it's no different from, um, in my opinion, to the having Leonardo da Vinci's work there is just as valuable. And if something happened, obviously it's all insured. But I had heard some stories about how stuff had gone over to the States when it had been sold and disappeared. I believe the Dalek Invasion of Earth cover disappeared that way, which is, you know, a terrible shame. And I would have felt such a such responsibility if it had gone. But yeah, everything turned up and uh, unharmed. I'd brought down Gary's myself to the cartoon magazine just on, on my way to Ibiza. I literally had a second suitcase with Gary's artwork in, which I dropped off at the cartoon museum. So I was able to personally look after that. But yeah, obviously it's quite heavy as well because a lot of it was already framed. So it was a lot of stuff there. I believe that there was quite an attendance for the opening of the exhibition. You had quite a few names people will recognise who were very excited by what they saw in front of them. Indeed. I mean, what we had is a launch party to, to launch event, to be a press moment which obviously Albert and BBC Books wanted to bring attention to their books. And this to me felt really special. I mean, I'm, you know, not many people get to put on a, an exhibition in their lives. And I did this. And I have to point out that this was done in a personal capacity. It wasn't done as part of my job. I'd, I'd asked for permission to do this. And they said, if you want to do it yourself. So technically I was doing it all in my own time and stuff. So I, you know, I was very, very proud of this achievement. Um, and I was pleased to have a few people there. And I'd invited everybody. So we had Andrew Skeleton, Jeff Cummins, Chris Achilles, all these great painters there. Um, Terence Dix was invited. Uh, I'd met Terence before a couple of times. Uh, we had Stephen Moffat there. Uh, we had Eric Saywood there as well. So some, some great luminaries from the world of Doctor Who. Now, a week or so before, before I'd gone to holiday i'd mentioned to peter capaldi about this and we all know that peter was a fan himself and and was aware of these target books and and is also an artist and interested in it and i said if you're around and you want to come you know please do and he said oh i might do that or he said although it is a friend of mine's party for something else so you know he's got a lot of artistic friends so i will, probably won't be able to make it but but thank you for inviting me and i took that at face value which was him sort of saying you know thanks but but no thanks so at the event itself, 
but we had all these great Doctor Who names there. And I think the party had been going on for about an hour. Everyone just wandering around. We had people like the press people there, but also, and you'll know this, Kenny, uh, a lot of the Doctor Who journalists. So the people that write for the magazines and the TV listings magazines were there. And, and everyone's having a great time. There was some canapes and, and, and red wine flowing it's also very very hot and where we were because it was raised up was quite hot as well so i was slightly sweating but excited and then someone said oh you have to let me know what peter capaldi thinks of all this and i said oh he's not coming i'm afraid and they were like well he's walking up the stairs now (laughs) and i looked and everyone in this gallery and it was quite a big um, space sort of went around a huge staircase had stopped they'd stopped talking and was looking as peter capaldi walked up the stairs and I was like, oh, wow, Peter came. And I walked towards him. And it was one of those lovely moments you want to remember for your, for your, the rest of your life. Because it was as if nobody else in the world existed. He just walked up to me and went, oh, hello, Edward. I thought I'd come along to your exhibition. <laughs> Which felt brilliant. I mean, I've, I obviously worked with Peter a lot and knew him. So, you know, we had lots of communication. But to be there amongst all these people and have him come up to me was great. But it was really fantastic, actually, because he went round and looked at everything and, you know, he spectacled to Chris and Jeff and was asking them about what materials they used and, and, and the artwork as well. And that was fantastic. And he sort of did a circle and, and, and spoke to everybody and then left and <laughs> sort of descended the stairs. But that was great. And I've got photos from that night. And obviously, dear Terence is no longer with us. And it's just a great, great memory to have uh, recorded. Um, yeah, it was great, great fun. And it, the exhibition stayed there for a few months. I can't remember exactly how long, but the, at this point, Doctor Who experienced people turned around and said, mm, we think we might have been wrong. Is there any chance we could uh, have these these in Cardiff? And I said, well, if you want to reach out to the, the lenders, you're more than welcome to. So they did. And they, they then transferred everything up to sort of a, an annex part of the exhibition. And I do understand why, you know, they're, they're, the Doctor Who experience was very much an experience rather than a straightforward museum and so they perhaps felt that it didn't fit into what they were doing but I think they you know they knew what I knew and what you knew that Doctor Who people just want to see and touch things as much as they can. Yeah because I went to it uh, I think it was just after it'd been announced in 2017 that the experience was going to close and I was off work at the time with stress right. and such like so decided to <clears> a few days away and my wife and I went down and rounds but I've I, mean, I was obviously I was desperate to see your exhibition there and obviously I had to take my time but when I got there it genuinely just what an incredible feeling it gave me just to see these artworks that had been a huge part of my childhood and growing up yeah. and just to be able to see them and it was it was an incredible feeling and I just want to thank you for doing that because I was at a very, I've never been as low in my life and just seeing those things for that day what a flip that gave me and just really boosted me so thank you for doing that Oh, I, well, I had no idea that it would have that kind of effect on anyone. I mean, it, it was just wonderful to, to to see and experience. And what was particularly good about that is it had been not long after the uh, an ex- small exhibition to celebrate the 400th cover of Doctor Who magazine. I can't remember how many. So the, they were those target books were displayed alongside all the Doctor Who magazine covers, or a huge amount of them as well. So it was it was like my childhood revisited. And I know what you mean about it. It's quite emotional. It really is. It's it's hard to explain. Although, you know, it's something that's happened more and more in my life. I've, I've felt it again with all these new ABBA songs as well. It's this way of connecting with your childhood. But it feels like more than nostalgia. The, the Japanese have a word. Um, it's called Natsukashi. And it's the sadness that you feel when you feel, think about time has passed. But it's kind of a happy sad, isn't it, Kenny? Because it's like, it's not regret. It's It's kind of like you know, a, a warm feeling. And I, I genuinely felt that when I saw these covers. And it's really great to see the covers that weren't used as well, because a lot of them commissioned and then for one reason or another weren't used. So you had sort of variations of it. And, and actually talking about this now, I remember one of the ones that really stood out to me was the fantastic cover to Death to the Daleks with the exploding Dalek on it. Oh, and that looks just as good in real life as, as it did on the reproduction. And I must say, in case I didn't sort of touch on it enough, I said that Dave, David J. Howard had been a little bit cold to start with, but had come on board, but he really embraced it. And, you know, he, I had suggested that he re-released his on-target book and he wasn't sure if it would sell, but it did. I'm pleased to say, and, you know, there were copies for it on sale on, in the Cartoon magazine, um, Museum and at the Doctor Who Experience as well. And I just think such an interesting story around those covers. and. 
it's a bit like the whole thing with Doctor Who episodes. They were kind of not considered to be something that would last for very long. So people didn't record stuff, uh, you know, didn't keep things at all. But, you know, just fantastic that they all exist, really. The thing that really surprised me was how small some of the artworks were. And well, some yeah. of them were far bigger than I thought. Yeah, that is true. I can't remember now off the top of my head which ones were big and which ones were small. I think Jeff Cummins one, ones were, were surprisingly small, not much bigger than the actual books themselves or certainly the hardback releases. And why that was astonishing is one of the things that is the, the hallmark of what he does is this kind of, it's quite a photorealistic detail. I'm trying to think, you know, the horror fang rock one, you know, Tom Baker's face almost looks real. Was Talons of Wang Chang him or was that Roy Knipe? I can't remember. But yeah, that there was an era of, of books where a photorealistic style was um, used. And so to see that they weren't much bigger at all, probably, you know, less than A4 in size. Um, and then you had some of the ones, certainly the early Chris Achilles ones, which were probably as big as A2 or maybe even bigger than that, <clears throat> maybe A1 in size. But all of this stuff would have been photographed. This is how this stuff was made back then. It would have been photographed that photograph would have been processed. Lettering would have been put on a clear plastic sheet, which would have been put over that. And then the logo on top of that. And it all would have been photographed again. And that's how they made the, you know, the covers. And pre-Photoshop, they didn't have anything like that. So, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it must have been really pleasing for you to have it on your own doorstep in Cardiff <coughs> as well. Yeah, it was. It really was. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things that we achieved. It was, you know, it was a job, but it was a job that um, I threw my heart and soul into. Um, and was very invested in. So it's very difficult to explain the emotional connection that we Doctor Who fans have to anybody that isn't a Doctor Who fan, and I'm sure they all think we're mad. But it is really something that is ingrained in you, and it's every part of your being, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, of course, it felt great to have that in Cardiff. I was very proud. My wife, who's not a Doctor Who fan at all, she was really impressed by it as well. And that's the thing. If Jen was impressed, then that's always a good sign. Yeah. I mean, to try and be a little bit humble at one point, I mean, it was just me that curated it and collected it. You know, the reason it was brilliant is because this artwork is brilliant. And it really is really, really good as well. I mean, some of it's variable. There are certain releases when they were, I think, in the very early 80s, probably around 81, 82, where they were re-releasing the old ones with new covers and taking the Doctor's face off. Some of them are not the best. But sometimes that can work really well. So after Chris Achilles, they sort of kept the same sort of style. I can't remember the name of the illustrator now, but the original release of Planet of the Spiders and, and Robot were very cartoon-like and they didn't look great in comparison to what was before and afters. But now you look at those ones and they're really quite charming. So, you know, it's, it's a varied style. Uh, it really is varied style. And of course, Alistair Pearson sort of redid a lot of them and, you know, because they re-released them over, over years. Alistair, Alistair's a, a very interesting, slightly unusual chap. Uh, I've had many conversations with him. Um, we didn't have much of his work at the exhibition for various reasons, which was a shame, but, um, you know, he was fully into it and I think would have liked to participate a little bit more. For me, it's something I think of with great fondness, particularly when I was at a, a dark time personally, and it was just... So nice to have that. Just that to be open to the, virtually almost touch my childhood. Obviously, I didn't touch them because that would be naughty. But <laughs> well, they were framed. <laughs> yeah, but just yeah. to be so close to them and all these amazing works, and you know the fact you know I could see my Colin Young's a friend of mine, and could see his artwork you know alongside others, and it was just so nice to have all these <laughs> just together. And it was a proper history from seventies to the present day. Just to see it all there, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really am. I most definitely did. But would you do it again? Oh, well, I, I wouldn't do that again. I would do something different. I don't know. It's what it's one of these things that, um, you know, Doctor Who will always be a part of my life and talking about these things will always be important to me. And, you know, getting fun around the world to go to conventions will always be most welcome. But at the same time, you, it's not everything in my life. So I don't know if I would do a Doctor Who thing again if I was to do that. I'm not sure what I would do. And also it's somebody else's responsibility now. But what would be an interesting thing to do if we were to do something like that again? It's really tough. I think, you know, this was my ultimate kind of Doctor Who type of exhibition to bring together because it was, you know, everything that came afterwards was much more catalogued and recorded. So it's not that special. And everything that came before was kind of a bit scatter, scatterbrain and, and, and sort of, you know, you had the, the toys and stuff that existed in the 60s and 70s. So this period of the 70s to 80s of these Target books, they're just like my ultimate Doctor Who merchandise, really. They, honestly, I, my, I was obsessed with them. I mean, 
can't underplay how obsessed I was. Until we then started getting the VHSs and the videos being released as well. This was my go-to for Doctor Who. Absolutely. Same. And it was like you said earlier with ABBA. My because my parents have both passed and they were big ABBA fans. And just hearing those ABBA songs when mm. they released, I was actually I was in tears just thinking, I wish my mum and dad could hear them. And yeah. it's just it's that connection. And that's it's exactly the same sort of thing that a connection yeah. to your childhood. It's really weird, isn't it? I think what's particularly good, I'm sure you don't want to make this a discussion about the ABBA songs, but what's particularly interesting about that ABBA stuff is the new music is every bit as good as the old stuff. You know, what's missing is the 40 years of nostalgia to grow on it. But I think those songs are really, really good. There's more to come. And it wasn't a fluke. You know, they, they are incredibly talented, amazing singers, amazing songwriters and stuff like that. So it's almost a validation, really. So I think... It makes you feel, yeah, no, I was right to be an ABBA fan all this time. And I think we get that a lot with Doctor Who. I mean, when Doctor Who came back in, in 2005, that was a validation as well, because it was so good. You know, not everyone will agree, but I think some of those, you know, the first three, four, five seasons of, of Doctor Who, uh, uh, the, the second incarnation, are better than a lot of what we had before. So, um, yeah, people are going to be turning off this podcast in fury now, but I... I <laughs> You know, I'm mean, obviously I grew up with the, the, what we used to call the classic series, and I and I love all that as well. But uh, I think, yeah, the uh, the Russell and, and Stephen years, and and even now, are just you know, brilliant, well made television. That is amazing. Thank you. During my chat with Edward, he made mention of Colin Young, a friend of mine for nearly thirty years. Colin is well known in fan circles as a keen collector of merchandise including the original servo robot from the Wheel in Space. So I had a chat with him to find out more about how he came to collect original Target art. Hello, my name's Colin Young. I'm 53 years old. I collect Doctor Who props, artwork, and every other sort of bit of rubbish you can think of <laughs> that everyone has far too much of. Nothing wrong with that, my old friend. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So, Colin, when did you first become interested in the Target books? And do you remember the first one that you bought? Yes. It was at the book club at primary school called the Chip Club. Now, I keep on getting them the wrong way around. It was either Loch Ness Monster or Close of Axos. So whatever one came out first was the one I bought at the Chip But, yeah, and I've still got those copies. And I'd assume that from that point, that was you hooked and buying the Target novelizations. Yeah, but the weird thing is, I've got them all, obviously. I'm dyslexic, and I've only ever read three, three Target books. My word, which and ones? Dalek Invasion Earth, The Web of Fear, and The Daleks. That's it. I hadn't even read the ones I bought at primary school. That's incredible. Oh, so I suppose, in some ways, then, the covers were just as important to you as the actual books themselves with the words. The fact that it was capturing that period in time for you, but obviously they're the ones you'd seen and ones that you hadn't. So just having that image was, would I'd imagine be really important to you. Yeah, the, the thing was as well, is especially the Clause of Axos, unlike a lot of people, I actually watched that in colour because my auntie had a colour television and it was just me and my mum at the time and we used to go around to my auntie's on a Saturday afternoon to early evening. So even though I was born in 68, I remember a huge amount of early Pertwee because I watched it in colour. That's the reason it stuck in my head so much. That's amazing. So when did your interest in collecting original cover artwork begin? Now, I reckon I bought one of the Fang Rock, the, the Jeff Cummins one. Well, the other one, Alistair Pearson, was never ever released. But I bought the artwork for the original Horror of Fang Rock maybe a about 15 years ago. And then after that, I just tracked other bits bits down and then just, like, if I could afford it, I'd buy it. Actually, if I couldn't afford it, I'd buy it. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then work out how to uh, live for the rest of that six months. But the, the, the price of the, the, the Target artwork when I bought it was reasonably reasonable. I mean, the horror of Fang Rock, because it was Jeff Cummins, and he's such a revered artist, and he's, he's done album covers for like Wings and White Snake and Paul McCartney himself. That cost me then just under £2,000. I think it was £1,750. Obviously, I mean, my target artwork, when I was out of work for a year, just under a year, 
just with mental health issues, really. So the Target artwork I had, I sold that. There was at one stage, I think I had six or seven pieces and probably lived better off the proceeds of that than I had done the previous year when uh, I was in a job. But it was nice. Some of it went to America, some down south, and it's it's friends that, that bought it, which is quite nice. So I, I know where most of it is, I think. But the, the, that's the, the, the cover artwork. And Jeff was lovely. I, I've met him once or twice, but we've been talking on the internet quite a lot. And then I met him in 2000 and... What? 2015-ish or so? Maybe maybe 2014. It was in Newcastle at the Cop Farm. It was our Dr. Who convention. Surprise, surprise. And we met at the lounge area in, in the hotel. And I thought, oh, brilliant. I'll be able to speak to him for five, ten minutes. Probably about three hours later, we were still talking. And it was like, right, we'll need to like, get stuff done and get stuff ready. Because this was the, 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 the night before the convention actually started. What a lovely man he was, still is. Very interesting. And down to earth, really nice. I mean, I would imagine that it's not the easiest thing to sort of Google or whatever to go buy original Doctor Who artwork from Target novelizations in the 70s. How would you go about that? Was it just a case of knowing people who possessed them or knew people who knew people? I bought that directly for Jeff because he had stuff on his, his website. I've got two bits off of eBay, one bit from a private deal, and then I found a, a website for one of the sci-fi shops. I think it was Galaxy 4. Darren Howard went, takes me at work on a Sunday morning and have you seen what Galaxy 4 have got? By the time I left work, I was four and a half grand out of pocket. <laughs> what one did you buy? Oh, no, I got, I got four, I think, or five. Oh, wow. So what were the ones you, you picked up? Alistair Pearson's ones for Death of the Daleks. His one for... Time Warrior, I think that's where the Crusade, Andrew Skeletor came from, and Time Meddler, and I think, no, definitely Inferno. Fantastic. What a great mix of covers from great eras as well. Really different in yeah. styles. That must have been something yeah. really nice to have as well, the fact that no two are the same, they're just very different by different artists. And I think there's two of them that don't have a reprinted cover. Inferno only had an, the one cover, and it must be Full Circle only had one cover. Oh, what else did I have? Hold on. I had State of Decay as well. Wow. Gorgeous. Yeah, because I, I reckon if I had got Warrior's Gate, I wouldn't have sold those two. But I've got that much artwork. I mean, it's, it, it's not as if I'm, I'm short of like, artwork to have. And that's from annuals or comic strips from the, the weekly, the monthly. I did have some strip stuff from Trout and Annuals. But yeah, I've got a right good mix. Different artists, different subject matter. Yeah. Now, do you remember how the contacts from Edward Russell came about in terms of borrowing your art? That came around because of the art exhibition that was done at the Comic Strip Museum? Is it Comic Strip Museum? They wanted stuff. I think Harry Russell actually might have got in contact with me because he knew I had stuff. But in the end, they, they had enough for there. And then when they, they were doing the one at the experience, he got in contact again and asked if I would be okay alone and stuff. That's fine. No yeah. problem. Yeah. Did you go down and see it all in situ in Cardiff? I did indeed. This time I actually flew down. I had a check at the price for the train tickets. And it was something like 650 quid return on the train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I could go return flight 70 pounds. <laughs> and it was great because the, where I was staying, the Cardiff Airport, wasn't even like half an hour on a taxi. It was great. And it was lovely to see... Uh, I didn't know anything was happening, actually, the, the weekend that I went down. And it was lovely 
I've got told, oh, the Fiona reveal the two new monsters that they had been refurbishing. One of them was Morbius, and the other one was a Mandrel. So I'm sitting at the front row, going, oh, this is going to be good. And Mike Tucker came in. Now, Mike Tucker doesn't know me for Adam. So he passed me, he went, hi, Colin, how's it going? I'm like, what the? He went, no, I see you on my, some of my friends' Facebook pages, so I know who you are. I thought, oh, that's awfully nice, sir. It was really nice. And it was lovely. Oh, that time as well, I'm looking about all the exhibition, and this boy, he must have been about eight, seven or eight, getting off excited and went, oh, look, it's a K1 robot. And I just went, huh? Never called it the giant robot. Never called it, look at that robot. He went, oh, it's K1. I'm like, oh, yeah, beauty. So I talked to him and his, I think it might have been his grandparents, for a wee while, and went in my bag and got on one of my, my sealer wrestling badges. So he got one of them. Because I always I take a stash of them everywhere I go, just in case I bump into any Dr. Who fan. Absolutely. I need to get one of those, Colin. I don't have one. No problem. But that must have been uh, such a nice feeling, though, seeing your artwork that you own there alongside all these other beautiful works. Oh, it was lovely. A lot of people, you, you'll hear people going, like, oh, I'm jealous you've got that, or jealous. You, and I'm like, no, don't be jealous. I'm not jealous of other people's stuff. I'm happy they've got it. It's lovely for them to have it. I'm not, I'm not going to feel uh, jealous because somebody else has got it. I've not. Uh, I'm just so happy that I was able to see it. I think it was Gary Russell that's got Keith Marnus. And you have a look at that artwork on the book cover, and it's, it's all right. You have a look at it in real life. The colours on it are absolutely phenomenal. So much detail, it's just beautiful. Please. Love it. I'd imagine, though, you'd probably have a bit of the heebie-jeebies about sending the stuff through the post. Nah. When I bought the servo robot, I sent the money in the post, in a VHS box, and it wasn't a couple of hundred quid. <laughs> so, no, it, it didn't bother me. Colin, thank you for your time in chatting with The Power of Three. Take care. So, there we have it. That's the story of the Doctor Who Target Book Cover Art Exhibition. Huge thanks to Edward and Colin for their time, and of course, to Tom and Dave for sharing their favourite book covers. I should mention at this point that Edward is the producer of the Madonna podcast Inside the Groove, looking in depth at the music of the Queen of Pop. So if you're a big fan of the material girl like I am, this is hugely recommended. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Power of 3 Pod. That's Power of 3 with a number 3 rather than written out in full. We have a Facebook page, so feel free to pop by, like the page and share your thoughts on our episodes. I should plug our various other podcasts here too. Tom hosts The Imposter, which is a memoir of his time in politics before, during and after his time as a Labour Member of Parliament. Dave is the co-host of the Earth 2 podcast, which looks at the gold and silver bronze ages and stuff of DC Comics. Look, it's too complicated to explain. Just go and listen to it and they'll explain it themselves. As for me, I'm going to give my two, that's right, two other Doctor Who podcasts a plug. That's Pieces of Eighth, the world's only podcast looking at the making of the adventures of the Eighth Doctor's stories in all forms, and my latest venture, Optional Extras, in which myself and Al Dewar from Character Options look at the various Doctor Who action figures they've created and released, and that can be found also on the Pieces of Eighth page. Oh, and I should mention that my day job podcast at Scottish Field this week features a chat with Mark Bonner, and of course Big Finish comes into it, in which we chat about the Eleven, and Commander Koenig in Space 1999. So that's me done. Phew! Join us again next week as the Power of Three strives to do an episode every week of the year. This is me, Kenny Smith, signing off. But, however, that's not the end of this week's episode. So, Edward, what are we going to play out with today? Well, we've already mentioned ABBA, and they are one of my favourite groups. And there is a connection with Doctor Who in my mind, because it was around the same time. Uh, well, I was a big fan of ABBA and a big fan of Doctor Who. And I've chosen a song from their album, The Visitors, because on the cover of The Visitors, they are surrounded by uh, paintings and artwork in Skansen in, in Sweden. Um, and there's a particular song there, which I love because it mentions images and sounds and stuff. And it's called I Let the Music Speak. And it's also, a bit, it's, it sounds a bit Dudley Simpson in places, this song. So, yeah. I, I will leave you with Abba's I Let the Music Speak from the Visitors album. I'm hearing images, I'm seeing songs, 
Really? 